You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. You guys, welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm so excited to have a repeat guest. You will, if you've been around for a while, you'll remember Vanessa Dugan from episode 16, which if you haven't listened to, definitely do. It is a great listen for busy working moms, all about how to find time for yourself. So give that a listen at some point. But welcome back, Vanessa. Thank you for being here. And today we have a entirely different topic. We're going to be talking about the pelvic floor, what it is, what can go wrong with it, how you can get help with it, and kind of everything that goes along with being a mom, whether it's you know new kids or older kids, and really helping you perform and feel your best inside out. So Vanessa, with that, thank you for being here. Welcome back. I'd love to start off with just a little bit of background on you and kind of what... What prompted you to make pelvic floor PT your career? Well, thanks for having me back. I know we talked about like at the end of the episode, I think after recording, we were just like, we should do a pelvic floor one. So (laughs) it took us a bit. I mean, we're both really busy. So it was nice to actually like come circle back around and to have this conversation. So um, yeah, pelvic floor PT. So it's funny because I'll tell people most of the time, um, that the history is really, really long back. My interest in terms of women's health and public floor stuff kind of started before I even did my post-grad education. So it was started with my interest in even doing like OB and stuff. Like I always wanted to work with women around that period of their lives for whatever reason, it was always something that drawn that was, I was drawn to. And then once I got into physiotherapy and I learned about public floor and sort of the whole women's health area, I realized how... It was this huge lack of care in that area and lack of education and lack of knowledge and was really just simple tools that women needed to actually have a little bit more satisfaction in their lives. Like to me, it made a big difference to be like, not just I'm going to fix your, your elbow and you can kind of get moving a little bit more, but it just felt so much of an important discussion to be able to sit and talk with my clients and sort of see how they can actually have uh, the public floor issues can just be so draining on people, right? It's such an intimate area. And it just felt like a really important place to make a difference in someone's live life and have that conversation about all the things they're doing in their day-to-day basis, right? Whether they have newborn babies or they've had children a long time ago, but now they're they're starting to take care of themselves again. So that's kind of like how I dove into it, I'll say. And that's kind of where I found my passion of what of what I do. I love that. And you're right. It's, uh, you know, not that there's, not that there's no the other one. <laughs> right. But to, it is such, such an intimate thing. And I feel like that's, that's part of why it's such an important conversation to have, because I feel like I've been involved in fitness for more than 15 years. And I feel like if not for me being a trainer, going through my own pre and postpartum certifications, I wouldn't have known that pelvic floor PT was a thing. And it's just in in what I've picked up on kind of social media, you're so unknown overall. And so many women are struggling with things that they don't realize are fixable. Absolutely. So let's back up a little bit because I know 
some people might be listening to this and they're like, what are you even talking about? Like, <laughs> what is what is the pelvic floor and what does a pelvic floor PT actually do and what do you kind of help with? Yeah, absolutely. So I always um, let people know that pelvic floor is part of like a whole system of the middle of your body, right? Like how the core interacts with itself. And specifically speaking about the pelvic floor, it's sort of the hammock that sits at the bottom of your pelvis. Um, it's the outlet, it's the inlet, it's the intimate part of our body, right? It's where we go to the bathroom, it's where we have intimacy. Pelvic floor is the combination of muscles and ligaments and how they all work together to not only strengthen and support what's sitting in the abdomen, but also how to allow these things to happen, right? Because our pelvic floor is like, it was just a solid hammock. That's fine. We'd have the support system, but there's not really an inlet or outlet, right? And it actually needs to be able to open in order for us to be intimate, to go to the bathroom and to have our babies. So it's a very different part of our body to really work on because it is muscles, but it's not as easy as saying, look at me, do this movement. Now you repeat it and being able to have that biofeedback. It's very much this whole feeling of sensation and understanding how it feels in your own body to use those muscles. That's such a great point. I remember when I saw a, a PT during my pregnancy she had one of those kind of anatomy, you know, the, the the pelvis with the the different muscles in it, and it's just so complex. And and like you said, it's not like demoing a squat and saying, okay, now you do it, or can you see your bicep moving when you do this curl? It's very um, internal, obviously, and <laughs> it can be really hard to convey. And I know you guys have some really incredible tools to be able to see if muscles are engaging and you know how long they're able to hold tension and things like that. But it's, it is a different, you know, sensation than um, really kind of any other type of training. Yeah. So let's let's get into some of the pelvic floor dysfunction because I feel like then that'll kind of make the conversation easier about who should see a, a PT. So there are two main things that I hear talked about a lot. And you'll probably have additional ones to add, but one is urinary incontinence or just a fancy way of saying peeing a little bit when you <laughs> jump or you cough or things like that. Um, and then the other is diastasis recti or having that abdominal separation. And both of those, I feel like, kind of get a lot of press, <laughs> um, but not necessarily in a productive way. A lot of times the conversation is more just commiserating. Oh, that happens to me too. Yeah. Oh, all moms have to run to the bathroom before we do any running or my, I just have like this mom pooch and there's nothing I can do about it. When instead, I feel like we can better educate moms about what these things actually are, what they're a sign of, and then, you know, what, what the solutions are. So can you touch on those and then any others that kind of you see frequently that come to mind? Yeah, and I'll say like definitely that <laughs> incontinence or leaking is the big one because it's it's the one that's most talked about for sure. And you're right, it's getting a lot of media because people are just having conversations about it, about like, oh, me too. And like, there's not really a productive conversation about like how to actually prevent it or how to improve it, right? Um, that is the main one that I get referrals for simply because when people learn that they don't have to do it, that's kind of a really obvious symptom, right? Like leaking is pretty evident. Um, diastasis recti, in a good way is getting a lot of press because people are also recognizing that it's a problem and that it's not just an aesthetic issue, but that's like a whole system problem. 
And usually when I explain sort of like what's, what are the dysfunctions of public floor and core, I just sort of explain that, that it's like there's a, a pop can or a soda can sitting in your abdomen and it's a whole pressure system. So I won't get into the whole details of what those things are, but understanding that the different parts of that pop can with the bottom part of the pop can being the pelvic floor, those all have to work together in order to have a functional core. So for example, if you have the bottom or your pelvic floor that is either too tight or too weak, it's not a really good system at the bottom, then any type of pressures that happen, so jumping, running, um, coughing, sneezing, that pressure on that can is going to go to its weakest part, which is the bottom of the, the bottom in this case. Same with diastasis recti or separation of the abdominal muscles. It's just a weakness in the front part of that can. And if you're constantly overusing the muscles in the middle, if you're doing crunches, if you're doing planks, if you're not really able to support your inner core system, then again, there's going to be pressures inside that intra-abdominal system that's going to push through. That causes that aesthetic appearance of like this bulge in the middle that's just not really going away. It can cause a lot of issues like low back pain. It can cause the incontinence while still having a really good pelvic floor. Um, it's, it could cause other issues, not just the fact that there's a, a gap in the middle of your belly, right? On top of that, the, the rest of the things are kind of interlinked with what's going on with this pressure system of the can. Um, some of them are not necessarily obvious to people. One of the things that I tend to see a lot, especially in postpartum women, is, is prolapse or pelvic organ prolapse, which is the concept of organs kind of descending towards the vaginal canal and sometimes coming out a little bit. Again, it depends on the severity. And most women will complain of incontinence with this issue. So it's not just like a pelvic floor issue. It's also this organ issue, but related to the pelvic floor. So we got some prolapse issues. We got that sensation of vaginal heaviness, constipation that, that you never seem to be deal, dealing with. Um, we have pelvic pain, women who are unable to insert tampons without having pain. Um, the seam of their pants is really uncomfortable against anything on the outside, discomfort in their low back. Low back pain is probably one of the big ones that um, I assess and treat. And we never realize that we always think like it's coming from the back. It must be the back. And sometimes it actually is due to the fact that there's weakness in your core and your pelvic floor. Those are the big ones I'll say that I see most of the time that women would probably relate to the most is really the leaking, the heaviness, the abdominal issues, and then the low back pain. That's so interesting. If, uh, if you guys have listened to episode 53 uh, about working around injuries with our um, exercise um, uh, what is Physiologist. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rachel, we talk a lot about that, how a lot of pain comes from weakness or tightness or imbalance someplace. And I know personally, I had been experiencing a lot of back pain and just kind of had this like light bulb moment of, yeah, duh, why don't you, you know, start doing some more core work, see if that helps. And it did. And I think it's just so important to realize that you know, what you experience is a symptom, but you need to trace it back to what is causing it. And when, when what you're looking at is internal, like you don't know, that's why you need someone <laughs> like you. Um, and especially yeah. with, you know, I remember first hearing about pelvic organ prolapse and it just blowing my mind, like, what do you mean <laughs> they can like just essentially feel like they're dropping out of your body. Like that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just so interesting that I feel like 
a lot of times, you know, if you're having, you know, say a, a constipation issue or something like that, you're immediately going to start thinking, okay, is this a gut biome thing? Do I need prebiotics or probiotics or, and to just realize like there are more stones to overturn and that, um, you know, the pelvic floor shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. We have kind of this whole set of things that can be going wrong. And now that I think it's a little bit more of a topic of conversation, you do see some pelvic floor programs out there or postpartum or diastasis recti focused programs. What are your thoughts on those? When I was seeing my PT, one of the things that she kind of instilled in me is just how individual these issues are and that to do a kind of generic program can potentially be doing more harm than good if it's not you working your body in the way that it needs. So what, how, like, would, would you recommend someone's first step being kind of a, a program like that or seeing someone like you? Um, easy answer for me. <laughs> I'll definitely say like the majority, I do get a lot of people asking me about like programs and things like that, about how, how those work for me. And I always have to give the answer like, wait, they can even say like, I, I leak. So this program says I, I should be doing this because then it prevents my leaking. And I never have an answer until I actually understand what their problem is. Right. Cause like you mentioned, it's, there's, it, I don't like to say it's a complicated issue. Cause I don't ever want anyone to think like, Oh, it's really complicated. I'll never gonna get through it. But it, thinking about like it's there's there's different ways to have the same symptom. So just because we're treating the symptom doesn't mean we're going to make that go away if we're not dealing with the underlying root cause. So if you're working through a program and it's all about um, fixing your diastasis recti, sometimes people have different issues to lead to that problem. And I would say my first line of defense is just to at least get an assessment done by pelvic floor PT. So it's just, it's kind of like working with a personal trainer. It's just very intimate, <laughs> but we kind of look over where is the root cause of, of your concerns and your issues? Like, are you going to spend a lot of time working on your pelvic floor when actually your pelvic floor is not the problem? Your pelvic floor is doing really good. It's just how you time your pelvic floor with your inner core muscles or maybe you really have lost the ability to use your inner core muscles and all you use is your obliques. Now we just need to turn off your obliques, but your program maybe wouldn't address that specifically, or you wouldn't know how to modify that for you. So I think that's always, those programs are great for getting people um, involved, motivated and on track for sure. There's some great programs out there, but it's, bef it's before you jump into those, you really need to know how it's going to work for you and what are the things you need to pay attention to versus the things you might need to tune out because it's not relevant to you. I think yeah. that's so smart. And the comparison to a personal trainer is, is spot on. You may not need continued sessions you know, for forever, but just getting expert eyes on you alone, looking at your body, how you move, what's going on to, like you said, just kind of bring awareness to, okay, something that you want to keep at top of mind is this, or let's practice engaging in this way. And then you can apply that to something maybe more, more general. And I think that's the key point is that awareness of your own body versus just assuming that this program is targeted specifically to you it's very generic so it's it's it could cover all four bases of something but for you you actually only need two of those bases covered really well right so it's sort of like how to actually make the most of that program that totally makes sense 
One of the things that I definitely had misconceptions about when I started PT was Kegels, which also I didn't know how to pronounce, but informed <laughs> Kegels rhymes with bagels, um, which has been very helpful. Um, but I feel like if someone does kind of have an awareness of pelvic floor stuff, that's probably the extent of it. Oh, Kegels, do those. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, do you really know what they are? Do you know how to do them properly? Should you be doing them, you know, for more um, longer holds and, and be working on endurance and things like that? So what can you tell us about Kegels? Yeah. And I think that makes a good point because you're right. When people are like, oh, you have incontinence problems, just do like 100 Kegels a day. Or here's your postpartum program. You got a Kegel all day long. All you got to do is Kegel. I, see, I still say Kegel because I think it's more... Um, I don't know. I feel like people know that a bit more. I think people don't even correct anymore, but I think you're correct. It is Kegel. That's so funny. That makes me feel better because I have to like, every time I see it written, I'm like, okay, bagel, bagel. <laughs> and even like the big term like diastasis recti, I've heard it said differently. And then someone's like, well, are you saying it right? And I'm like, I, I don't know. No anymore. I feel like <laughs> All these terms. Um, when it comes to doing like, I, I've had people enter my office where they're like, oh, I, I had a baby and my, my doctor just told me to do a hundred kegels a day and that's fine. And I go, okay, well, we don't really know if it's going to do any benefit to you, right? Cause it's just me going like, oh, you have lower limb strength, just squat a hundred times a day. Oh, it causes you knee pain, probably squat some more. So it's just a very generic exercise to give people. And you're right. It's sort of when we're making these muscles stronger, again, it's not just a muscle that kind of like turns on and off all the time. It's a supportive muscle. It's not something like a big quad muscle that needs to kick out and have power, but it needs to have power when we need it to have power. And it needs to hold on for a certain amount of time. Right. So if I'm getting up to go to the bathroom and now I've held it for so long, but I really got to go to the bathroom, it needs to be able to turn on support to match what it needs to support and make it for that time, right? For the endurance for me to actually get to the bathroom. So Kegels just doing a turn on, turn off repeatedly is can have some benefits in the sense that you're able to tune into those muscles. But one, are you just focusing on that muscle? Are you squeezing your bum muscles? Are you squeezing the inner thigh muscles? Are you, are you doing that action of like trying to close your legs and shut everything off? Then you're not really just focusing on your pelvic floor muscles or what you're doing with Kegels. Are you actually being able to sustain that hold? Can you hold it for like a functional amount of time? And three, which I find is the most big important one is maybe your pelvic floor muscles are actually too, too tight or they're turned on all the time that your, your goal is to actually let those muscles go. Because if you're holding on to something all the time, when you actually need it, there'll be no power left to actually squeeze that amount that you need. So that's why like I've had a lot of people who come in who they've been doing all the right things, right? They've been told they have to Kegel after babies. They've been told they have to Kegel in order to get rid of their continence. Then they end up with pain and it's, it's making their problem actually worse. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay. So aside from, I, I know from seeing mine that you guys have tools, you can, you know, put some, I don't know what they are, like electrodes internal <laughs> and you can be gauging, you know, uh, muscle engagement and, and duration and things like that. Is there a way for a person on her own to assess, are my pelvic floor muscles too tight? Do I need to strengthen? Um, or is that something that is pretty specific to going in and getting assessed? I'll say the easiest way is to go into get it assessed. However, um, you usually have a little bit of a, of a knowing of what you're capable of, right? Like you can see when you go to engage those muscles, either all of a sudden your glutes kick in or you feel like you're trying to cross your legs. And that's all a symptom of 
trying to do a movement that doesn't really work so well, right? You're, you're overcompensating by using muscles, other muscles to help that muscle that don't really help the muscle. <laughs> so it's one of the things that you can try to do, right? Can I focus on that movement? Can I feel like my sit bones are trying to come together? Can I feel like if I'm sitting on a chair, I'm almost trying to pull a blueberry into my abdomen just using my pelvic floor muscles, right? Do I feel those things? And do I also feel the opposite? Do I feel when I let go, do those muscles let go? Or does it feel like I don't feel anything at all when I voluntarily try to let go? You usually have some sort of knowing as to what you're capable of doing because you should be able to feel that full contraction and also that full release. And if you're having difficulty feeling those, then it becomes a little bit harder to assess whether it's the strength issue or if it's the overtight issue. But again, if you're repeatedly trying to do that and there's nothing really happening, then there's definitely an issue going on. That totally makes sense. Is there any, I don't know why this just came to mind, but I've heard that you should be able to stop urine midstream. Is that a way to test pelvic floor strength? You can. Um, however, in saying that I've had people who can stop the flow of urine, but then when we go to assess and they actually do have like a weaker pelvic floor. <laughs> um, I know. Yes. Yeah, so but it depends again on like how, how quick their flow is. Um, how much was sitting in their bladder. So like, do you know what I mean? Like there's a whole like physics component to like what strength you're having when you're stopping the flow of urine. Um, it's a it's a test to just kind of grade, can I do it at all? Um, but it's not just going to tell you exactly how strong or if you can work on it some more. That's so funny. That totally makes sense. And I've often said similar things about like when you're nursing and how, you know, you don't know exactly how much you're producing and and things like that. But it's so funny, like, yeah, of course, like sometimes it's coming out really fast. There's a lot of it, sometimes not so much. So yeah, like why wouldn't it take different levels of strength to, <laughs> to stop that? Exactly. So okay. So I feel like a lot of a lot of moms of older kids, and by older I guess I mean any kid that's like not a toddler or a baby. I feel like a lot of those moms feel like they've missed the boat. Well, my kids aren't babies anymore. It's too late. I just have to accept like kind of this is this is my fate. This is how it's going to be here on out. Is there a is there any truth to that? Is there a point where just like you got to deal with your cards or you no know, even if your kids are out of the house ready, is there still a benefit to doing this work? Yeah, there absolutely is. And I think it is one of those things where it's sort of you can continue to let it let it go if you're as your kids are getting older and you feel like there's an issue going on or maybe you don't even notice it till they're much older and you start to become more active right because your public floor and core might be a-okay at the activity level that you're at right now right maybe you just go for a walk with the kids and now your kids are older and now you're going for runs and stuff and now your leaking is happening right it's just your public floor strength and your core strength was functional for what you were doing but once you push that limit that's when you start to have problems so it's never to say that like you can only catch it at postpartum. You only have five years to do it. And there's definitely the benefit of seeing someone later on because sometimes it's just about learning how to use those muscles again and being able to tap into that. So we never lose that ability to retrain it, right? We have some great, we have a great brain. It's, it's, we've got neuroplasticity. It can relearn a lot of things. Um, so it's never too late to give it a go again or give it a go for the first time because there's always a way to rehabilitate. And I've seen people in menopause and postmenopausal, and it's, there's, they still have a lot of gains that they can make in that age. And even to modify and change lifestyle habits can make a little bit of a difference for them. 
I love that. Yeah, I actually was was thinking about how many women we work with who are, you know, postmenopausal, fifties, sixties, beyond, and just how how much they can benefit from it too. That uh, just like you don't need to accept, oh, I'm going to gain weight as I get older. I'm going to get, you know, all these negative things are going to happen. It's never too late to become aware of something and decide to do what's in your power to to change it. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned core engagement, and I think that would be something great to talk about because I think a lot of a lot of our community are Peloton users and will do you know five, 10, 15 minute core classes each day. And a lot of what I see in those classes is planking, is crunching. And of course, those uh, those can help a ton with strengthening, but they're often done improperly which can then just kind of further exacerbate like the lower back pain you were talking about and things like that. So to to take someone who maybe is is actively trying to train their core but doesn't really necessarily feel much in the way of progress, what what tips would you give to make sure you're engaging your deep core muscles and kind of how to get the most out of that work? Yeah. So I think you're right like those core workouts are kind of similar to the sense of like these generic programs for like postpartum diet and stuff is that that sort of like the assumption is that you know the underlying basic foundation of how to do the exercise right but when you're doing the core workout you're working um let's talk about the layers of muscles when you have the ones that are a little more on the outside you have your rectus abdominis you go deeper you got your obliques and then you go even deeper and you have transversus abdominis when we talk about inner core our target is the transversus abdominis so if all you're doing when you're doing your core workout is working on your obliques and your rectus abdominis you're not really working on those deep inner core stabilizers the ones that we kind of want to turn on before the bigger muscles do their work. Kind of like with any part of our body, your shoulders, our knees, there's little stabilizer muscles that we kind of want to turn on before we do the next big movement because it's helping protect that part of our body and it's making it stronger, right? So my cue with inner core is always thinking about that those front two hip bones, those, those bony parts, thinking about a string between those two bony parts and trying to tighten that string together. Some people, especially trying to do this lying down is probably the easiest way to start out just to understand what that feels like. Some people really struggle with just trying to engage that muscle. That's common. That is just a weakness that you have. But being able to work on using that inner core muscle before you turn on rectus abdominis, before you do your oblique exercises, will provide that stronger core strengthening and will provide allow you to get stronger and stronger in your core. TVA is one of those ones that it, it can be tricky, right? Because if you've, you've developed a mechanism and a habit of how to use your obliques to do the job of it, it sometimes gets hard to turn off those things before you actually engage your deeper core muscles. But it's a, it's a trick. If you continue to do it, um, it does get better. And especially before you move into like planks, um, crunches, anything like that, you can actually turn this muscle on first. That's such good advice. And I think with a lot of exercise, especially in a format where you're being led by an instructor who's doing it too, there's kind of this self-imposed pressure to keep up and you know not modify or not stop and take rests or not go slower than what you're seeing on the screen. And I think it's just so important to kind of go through like that multi-step setup process and get into the position first. And then really be 
focusing on, am I still keeping that engagement throughout this movement? And if I need to slow it down, if I need to modify it, so be it. Because better to do it right a few times than incorrectly dozens of times, not only from the benefit standpoint, but also from the potential risks of doing something improperly over and over and over again puts you at much higher risk of injury, whereas doing something well a few times puts you in a better position to actually get stronger. And I think that is the emphasis because I do find people are like, well, I'm just following a program and it tells me I have to do this many, but you're like, there's no point if like at number five, you're actually not doing the thing anymore. And now you're going to just kind of throw your body into this movement and, and you're not getting the benefit of what it's actually trying to target, right? Yeah. I feel like we talk about that with nutrition a lot where, you know, you shouldn't just be checking the boxes. You should actually be learning and paying attention and and tuning into those things. So actually reminding yourself, the point here isn't to check the box that says I did 15 reps today. The point is for me to be getting progressively stronger, for me to be improving these areas. And sometimes that means zooming out and being like, okay, I know it's a little bit of a blow to my ego to have to stop or to modify, but I don't get a a medal for finishing today. (laughs) What I want is to be you know, pain-free and, and injury-free for the long run. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's a good point. <laughs> so with that, I think that that segues really well into kind of the, the last thing that I had in mind, which is if you are currently training and either have been aware prior to this conversation, or maybe this conversation has made you aware that you have some of these underlying pelvic floor issues or core weaknesses or things like that, What's kind of the course of action? Do you need to completely stop doing those things and completely rehab? Is there a way that you can do both of those things at the same time? What does kind of that um, that look like? Yeah, I will say that um, majority of time, it depends, but <laughs> majority of time, I will say uh, we don't like to take away everyone's activity all out. Right. Because I feel like that's a big life change when someone goes, here's the issue that you're experiencing. You're going to have to stop everything that you're doing and start at square one. It's kind of a big hit to the ego. Um, The way that I tend to practice with my clients is like, what activities can we incorporate? Sometimes it may look like something different, right? Like maybe you're a runner and you're realizing how much of an impact your prolapse is making in your incontinence. And maybe we need to take running away or backtrack a bit and incorporate some cycling or something like that, right? Like changing the activity a little bit in this particular case, sometimes when it's like weight training, like finding out what the actual triggers are and what the problem is and being able to modify. So we, I try to incorporate as much of their exercise and their activity as much as possible into their rehab. So it makes more sense, right? Because most of the time, if we want, if someone takes something away from us, we don't necessarily want to participate anywhere <laughs> because it's taking away our fun. So, or our goals, right? It's taking us further away from our goals. So I try to kind of backtrack, modify and adjust as best as I possibly can so that someone's life isn't entirely impacted. Like everything is also taken away from them. That's the best we try to do in this physio is we work like that because we really are thinking about someone as a whole, right? It's not just, I need to fix your problem. So you need to pay attention to only me who's going to fix you. It's more of a, let's look at the underlying issue. How are you as a whole person? What's going on in your life? Um, What's going on with your small children? Are you picking them up? How are you nursing them? Like there's a lot of questions that go into that. And it really comes down to how can we change minor little things of habits and lifestyle, incorporate exercise and incorporate the things that you actually want to do. So we don't usually take things away unless it's an absolute 
unbeneficial thing that they're doing that's making their, their symptoms much worse and making the injury much worse. That totally makes sense. And then I would imagine in those cases, it's for the most part, probably not never again. It's just not right now until we can address the root and then kind of ease you back into it. So I think like a lot of things we talk about, keeping that big picture in mind and knowing that sometimes what's best for you in the long run feels like a step backwards in the short term, but that it's worth doing if if that thing was going to limit your potential in the future to do what feels like the harder thing right now, address it and know that it's going to help you down the road. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Before we wrap up is, uh, well, two questions <laughs> one I did not have on my list, but you mentioned it with, uh, with prolapse and I'm sure I could just Google this, but I haven't. What do you, what, what's the solution to prolapse? Like you can't just like kegel your organs back into place. <laughs> is that like a surgical thing or is it just, that's just where it is now. We learn to work with it. Um, it depends. <laughs> so I do, I know it's one of like, I wish I could have like a solid clearance for everybody. Um, there are many cases of people who have, there's different grades of severity of prolapse. So if you had say like a grade two or like a moderate prolapse, there is with exercises and, and lifestyle modifications that your prolapse could actually go up to a grade one, um, or at least give you symptomatic relief. So for instance, someone at a grade one actually might feel really uncomfortable, might feel their prolapse a lot. Someone at a grade two might have no awareness of their prolapse. So mm-hmm. severity isn't necessarily an indication of, of symptomatically what you're feeling. But being, saying that, yes, there are definitely people who seek pelvic floor physiotherapy and their prolapse actually greatly improves. Um, or we have adaptations, things like pessaries, that might be something completely new to people, but it's supporting inside the vaginal canal, um, a physical object. And sometimes people will use it just temporarily, like when they have to do high impact exercise, they can use some supportive pessaries to do that. Um, and our really last worst case scenario is what we like to use a surgical intervention, um, simply because you still have to do the rehab portion post-surgical intervention. Um, it's just like saying any type of surgery is never the same as having your, your full whole body in its natural state. Right. But that's not to say that in these cases that you can have surgery and then still have a really good outcome, right. You still need to do the rehab work. Um, but there's different severities. I always say first line of defense is doing the exercises, doing the exercise or the lifestyle modifications to make your symptoms improve. Oftentimes we can get a lot of that severity improved in terms of how bad the prolapse is. Surgery is kind of our last route. That totally makes sense. Would you recommend pretty much all women seeing a pelvic floor PT? Are there any groups that you would say it's it's probably not a, a priority or is it something that basically everybody could benefit from getting assessed? I think as a biased perspective, I would say everybody <laughs> would need to do it. <laughs> but to say like as like a, which populations would I say like absolutely you would need to? Definitely the pregnant postpartum population, right? Because they're going through a lot of changes, especially, um, yeah, during pregnancy. A lot of times people will hear this knowledge of like, just wait till postpartum when you could be dealing with a lot postpartum, right? There's a lot of issues to contend with. So if you're doing all the work in pregnancy, you're much better set up for the postpartum period. You're not kind of like trying to catch up. That's my first group that'll hit. Um, menopause during that time, women in menopause can also have a lot of changes that public floor physio can chat with. Um, a lot of symptoms that they could be experiencing 
that pelvic floors can even edu- pelvic floor physios can even educate on. So those are like my populations, and obviously those who are experiencing something, right? Incontinence, heaviness, um, dealing with constipation that seem to go away, low back pain, pelvic pain. Uh, those are the big ones that I would say are definitely need to see a pelvic floor physio. That totally makes sense. And I think, you know, obviously when, when you're experiencing symptoms, yes, go get, get the help. But I think the preventative aspect of it is something that just, I'm not, I'm not very familiar with what it's like in Canada, but I know in the U S like we're really not focused on preventative stuff. It's mostly like just deal with it until it's intolerable and then <laughs> get somebody to help you ideally with some sort of drug or something that will just like make it go away. Instantaneously fix it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But there's so much to be said for doing this stuff before something is actually wrong. So like you said, kind of with, um, with menopausal women where, you know, you're undergoing a lot of changes and sometimes it can be hard to pull out what's something that I can improve and what's something that I need to learn to live with. And we end up just kind of living with all sorts of things that we could be changing. So um, I think that's great advice that you don't necessarily need to be feeling badly to benefit from getting assessed and figuring out, is there anything that I can be doing differently or better? And I think it comes down to the fact that like, if I if you were to come see me, for example, I could see you and there's just a small little minor issue. Maybe we go over one or two visits and you're done and you have like, you ha- you're set for life. You know how to use your body. You're more aware of those things versus if something comes up and you leave it and you leave it and you leave it and you leave it, then it's a lot more intensive, right? Then it's sort of, there's, we're trying to backtrack, create habits, create muscular strength, retrain muscles. Like it becomes a lot more work in the end. So if you're in that, that position of like, it's a lot more work, still do it. <laughs> but if you're in that position of like, I'm not sure, but maybe it would be beneficial. It could work out in your benefit, right? To actually address the problem or address potential issues for the future. Yeah. I love that. One of our, I was just listening to a replay of one of our um, Thursday office hours in the, in the club. And one of our ladies mentioned something about learning to listen to your body when it's whispering so that it doesn't have to shout. And I just think that's so good that, you know, usually there are like some small hints that something is, is kind of in, in disarray, but mm-hmm. we just ignore it. And <laughs> then it gets louder and louder and louder. And then, like you said, at that point, it's become a bigger deal. So addressing, addressing early and, and then, you know, even preventing is so important. So that is my last question. As far okay. as like prevention goes or just kind of general health, is there anything that, pretty much everyone could benefit from doing, whether it's as simple as like learning how to properly engage their cores or anything like that? I think the the two things that I teach absolutely everyone, I don't think I found anyone who doesn't need this, is how do you belly breath or diaphragmatically breathe, right? I feel like, especially in this age and day and age with women, we tend to all stand and hold our bellies in because it's in a, it's inappropriate to have your belly hang out and come back in. So being able to release that, even in just like a structured setting, right? Being able to lie down, sit down, stand up, whatever it is. And when you take a nice deep breath in, not feeling like your chest is rising, but more feeling like your belly actually comes out. So I think that has always been something I teach everybody because I find that gets into a more complicated question or complicated answer in terms of like negative pressures and working with your, your core and your, your pressure system. But just learning how to breathe can make a big difference to a lot of things that you do exercise, picking up your babies, just sitting there, um, how you go poop, breathing can be really helpful. 
um, instead of pushing, because <laughs> that's like the, the, which leads to like my second thing that I teach everybody is using the position on the toilet to prevent injury on your pelvic floor is being in that more squatty position, right? Squatty potty was really popular. I think it still is, we have um, one. but using like <laughs> books, stools, whatever it is underneath your feet so that your knees are higher than the level of your hips when you're sitting on the toilet is absolutely beneficial to actually making sense in your pelvic floor when you have a bowel movement instead of having force pushed on the middle of your pelvic floor the force is actually pushed where it needs to be um those are two things that i tell absolutely everybody for like a nice healthy pelvic floor and core two things everybody could benefit those are so good and you guys if you're listening to this and you don't know about squatty potty i'm pretty sure it's just squatty potty but yeah it's it is such a game changer and i know it it feels it sounds silly and it feels silly but it will change your life. I've, uh, I gave them to, a, I gave one to a good friend as a housewarming gift, which is like super weird. I know it was a new one. So it wasn't, you know, um, and he like made fun of it and then used it and was like, Oh, thank you for the wonderful gift. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll think of you every time. <laughs> I know very weird thing, but you guys, if you don't, if you don't know, like Vanessa said, at least a stack of books or something, get your feet elevated. It will, it will just change the whole experience. That's uh, that's such great advice. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to mention? And um, also where can our listeners find you on social media? Um, the one thing I want to mention is that for anybody who's considering going to see a pelvic floor physio, just understand that our role is always to help you. So I know some people can be really intimidated by the fact of not knowing what even happens in the assessment. Most pelvic floor physios will be open to even having a conversation of what that looks like. And second is, um, we do internal exams. Not always, <laughs> not everyone is comfortable with that. And that's completely fine to figure out sort of what the issue is. Um, so I never like to say, just be comfortable going in and knowing that you are in control of that assessment. So if there's anything that you don't want to do, you're absolutely fine to say no. It's a really, really safe space to do that and to address a lot of issues. I think that's really nice to know for everybody. Um, I'm on social media. I am Vanessa Dugan, I believe is my social media. <laughs> I know I never have to like tag myself. Um, that's the easiest place to find me. That's where most people end up in my messages asking me like random questions. Um, random questions are, are most definitely welcome. Um, sometimes I have an answer for you. Sometimes I at least have a resource to share with you. Uh, again, really open book. I hear a lot of things because of the nature of what I deal with and what I have to ask questions about, which can be really personal. So if there's anything in particular that you're, you're thinking about or concerned about, I'm an open door and at least I can help direct your, your question. <laughs> That's perfect. Just having a resource like you and someone where I feel like it might be a little bit more comfortable to to have the initial contact be virtual where you're just like, all right, I don't have to look you in the eye while I'm asking you this very personal thing. And like you said, to just kind of wrap your head around, okay, you know what, this, this would be worth doing. And you're right. It's a pretty intimate thing. It can be pretty uncomfortable. And I think just, just saying out loud that the role of uh, of a person in this position is to help you and that you get to call the shots and, and, guide it, you know, where you're comfortable um, is so important. So thank you for for adding that. No problem. Thank you again for being here. I'm sure you'll be back for another episode at some point. Um, and you guys, if any of this resonated with you or piqued your interest, definitely check out Vanessa on Instagram and also pursue either getting a referral or just making a direct appointment with someone local to you um, to 
get, get an assessment done. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. If you like this podcast, you will love the deep dive that we provide on our consult calls. When is the last time you actually set aside any chunk of time to just think and talk about yourself, about your goals, and really dug into what's actually standing in your way? Just that alone, just having a sounding board for your thoughts can be incredibly eye-opening and help you get that aha moment that you need to actually take the first step toward lasting change. If during our conversation, we know for sure we can help you bridge the gap from where you are now to where you want to be, then we'll offer to share with you what our one-on-one coaching experience is like and how we can help support and guide you to that goal. You can book a call with us at sjevent.com slash call, and we can't wait to get to know you. 